Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode, I explore the recent HBR video, How Industry Competition Theory Can Help Fix U.S. Politics. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to be with you again today for this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode, where today I'll be exploring the recent HBR video, How Industry Competition Theory Can Help Fix U.S. Politics. Given the current political situation and dysfunction and the events of this past week, I thought it would be appropriate to explore this video with you and think not only how we can use this to fix um, our political system, but really think about it within organizations and how we can fix our organizational politics as well. Unhealthy competition is at the root of political dysfunction. Applying a famous business framework can help identify the best ways to fix it. Although people tend to think of the American political system as a public institution based on high-minded principles, it's not. Politics behaves according to the same kinds of incentives and forces that shape competition in any private industry. Our elections and our legislative systems are drowning in unhealthy competition. The political industrial complex wins and the public interest loses. Business in pursuing its short-term interests has become a major participant in the politics industry, exacerbating its dysfunction. We can have healthy competition in politics, results, innovation, and accountability by redesigning how we vote to connect acting in the public interest with getting reelected. Catherine Gale's application of Michael Porter's Five Forces framework illuminates the root causes of political dysfunction and points to the most powerful levers for transformation. For more, see Catherine Gale and Michael Porter's book, The Politics Industry, How Political Innovation Can Break Partisan Gridlock and Save Our Democracy. Thanks for joining me, and I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip. Healthy competition. It's typically what propels businesses to make better products and services. Better products and services equal happier customers, and happy customers equal happy businesses. Win-win. But what if I told you there was a booming $16 billion U.S. industry that thrives off a win-lose scenario? An industry where customers are perpetually dissatisfied and new competitors don't stand a chance. This industry has not only been dominated by a duopoly, that is just two players, for the last 150 years, but the industry itself threatens overall American competitiveness and social progress. You think that industry would never survive? Welcome to U.S. Two-Party Politics. I really like the introduction of this video uh, because it really pushes you to think. Uh, Outside of politics, we would never accept such a system. And it is dysfunctional. I think you look no further than everything leading up to this year's presidential election and its aftermath and then leading up to 
the insurrection at the Capitol building last week. Uh, it is so frustrating. It's disheartening. It's so worrisome. And this just adds an exclamation point at the end of a really tumultuous political season and really long-term dysfunction within our political system that's been going on for a really long time. It's more divisive than it's ever been. Uh, we have a, a deeper ideological divide than we've ever had in this country. And it's not just in the U.S. We also see it uh, happening in other countries as well. Uh, it's, it's quite worrisome. And so I thought it would be interesting to really explore uh, a little bit about what is at the heart of the problems in our political system. And I think this theory uh, about healthy competition uh, within industry provides a good framework and a good way of thinking about this. Now, obviously, there's more to it than this. And, and there's a reason why our political system doesn't function uh, exactly the same as a free market, for example. Um, but I, I think there are some really good insights in this uh, HBR video. And I, ex I look forward to exploring uh, these clips with you. When former CEO Catherine Gale and Harvard Business School professor Michael Porter took a fresh look at U.S. politics as if it were an industry, they applied Porter's famous Five Forces framework to assess its competitive health. The dynamics between rivals, buyers, suppliers, new entrants, and substitutes are what keep any healthy private sector industry on its toes. However, in the U.S., politics industry, Galen Porter found unhealthy competition in which the rivals, Republicans and Democrats, do well even if the customers, citizens and voters, lose out. They were also surprised to discover that U.S. politics, while dysfunctional, really isn't broken. In fact, it's doing exactly what it was designed to do. That's really kind of sad, isn't it? Uh, the realization that it's not dysfunctional, it's not broken, it's doing exactly what it was designed to do. So that raises the question, well, should we be tweaking the design so we can get different outcomes? If we're sick and tired of divisive politics and uh, nothing getting done on the public policy front and, and the divide just getting deeper and deeper uh, each and every year, uh, should we tweak the system? Should we change the levers and the mechanisms in order to get a different outcome? And I love the idea of tweaking the system. I think there's no sacred cows uh, when we look at dysfunctional systems, particularly when there's systems that are built upon uh, inequities and systems of racism uh, with all of the good things that our political system uh, has provided. Uh, it, it fundamentally has uh, had some of these types of problems with it due to uh, systemic racism, systemic sexism, and other forms of s systemic bigotry and uh, uh, putting uh, people at a disadvantage. And so I think it's worth looking into ways to tweak that system so we can have more healthy competition and keep our elected officials accountable to their constituents. You see, the rules of the system have been intentionally created by and for the entrenched duopoly of Republicans and Democrats to keep themselves in power. They divide their customers, the public, up according to partisan interests. This polarization ensures customer loyalty and reduces accountability. Each party competes to reinforce the division instead of delivering real solutions that would require compromise. 
Moreover, channels for reaching customers, like media coverage and advertising, and suppliers, like candidates and lobbyists, have been co-opted to serve the duopoly's agenda. And most customers have very limited influence, primarily because the threat of competition is almost non-existent. The barriers to entry facing new competitors, like a new political party, or substitutes, such as independents, are colossal. And the two rivals actually cooperate to strengthen those barriers. Case in point, no new major political party has emerged since 1854, despite widespread dissatisfaction with the two parties. And yet, the problem is bigger still. The polarization not only affects who gets elected, it also affects what elected officials do once in office, since every decision is driven by the next increasingly partisan election. Lawmakers vote accordingly, resulting in less bipartisanship, less compromise, and even less getting done in the public interest. Because there's no new competition, there's no accountability for this failure. So how do we increase competition in our political system? We famously have a two-party system here in the United States. And the, the cost to new entrants or substitutions, substitutes is, is so high um, that only in the most rare of circumstances do you see anyone who is an independent or from one of the competing um, uh, smaller political parties having any sort of a shot at any uh, sort of uh, uh, elected office, maybe at the local level, sometimes at the state level, at the national level, it's almost non-existent. Uh, and so the question is, are, are we going to be satisfied with that? Or are we going to tweak these mechanisms, uh, change the dynamic in such a way that we can uh, promote accountability amongst our elected officials so they, they know that they can't just sow greater levels of divisiveness and polarization uh, and, and do that in order to secure their power uh, without really doing anything to meet the needs of their constituents. Why are we satisfied with a dysfunctional two-party system uh, where ultimately nothing ever gets done, almost ever? Uh, increasingly at the national level, the only way things get done is uh, through executive order, which is not the intention of the way our, our, our national system was set up. And so we, we need to tweak the system. And uh, following the break, you'll hear uh, a really great idea, a simple idea of what we could do uh, to, to produce more accountability and lower those barriers to new entrants and substitutes so that we can have healthy competition in our political process and hopefully drive better outcomes, more innovations, and um, more public policy in the public interest. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? 
Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. If politics was run like a free market industry, more competitors, especially innovative ones, could have threatened the Republicans and Democrats' duopoly long ago. This made Gale and Porter wonder, could free market principles help redesign this failing system that seems so set in stone? The answer was a resounding yes. In fact, they found an achievable nonpartisan solution that targets the root of unhealthy competition, revamp our elections with a final five voting model, an experiment already underway in a handful of U.S. cities and states. The first order of business is to broaden the field of candidates. To do so, we would replace our current party-controlled primaries with a single nonpartisan top five primary, open to anyone regardless of party registration. All candidates from any party, including independents, would appear on the same ballot. Up to five top finishers, regardless of partisan affiliation, would advance to the general election. Then in November, these five candidates would face off, with the winners selected by ranked choice voting. To back up, we currently have plurality voting, where the winner is whoever gets the most votes, but not necessarily a majority. Not only can someone be elected with minimal actual support, but plurality voting creates disincentives for new entrants to compete for fear of spoiling the election by pulling away votes from ideologically similar candidates. By contrast, with ranked choice voting, candidates must receive majority support to win an election. Here's how it would work. Your general election ballot has the names of the five primary winners. You pick your favorite, but, so no votes are wasted, you also make a second, third, fourth, and fifth choice. After the polls close, the first place votes are counted. If one candidate receives more than 50% of the first place votes, a true majority, the election is over. But what if one candidate gets only 33% and the next closest candidate gets 32%? In today's plurality voting system, the candidate with 33% of the vote would win. But with ranked choice, the election isn't over yet. In this scenario, the candidate in last place is eliminated, and those votes are automatically transferred to each voter's second choice. Votes are continually redistributed until enough votes push a candidate over the 50% threshold to win with the broadest possible support. A final five voting model with rank order voting really is quite an ingenious solution to this, this challenge. And we can still have uh, dominant political parties. Uh, doesn't mean necessarily even doing away with the two-party system, but it does increase uh, immediately the accountability that people have because you can't run to the extremes and hope to get elected and reelected. Uh, currently, the way the system is set up is that people largely in the primaries, they run to the extremes um, to rile up their base and uh, to try to demonstrate that they're ideologically pure enough, quote unquote, in order to get the support uh, of, of their constituents and uh, again, uh, particularly in the primary uh, system, uh, through the primary system, we end up with even greater political divide and more extremes. 
And then what you have typically seen in the past is once we get to a national election, uh, while, while candidates run to the right or the left to the extremes in their primaries, they end up moving towards the middle in uh, the national uh, election to try to get more moderates and independents. Uh, that that changed a bit with uh, the current um, administration and Trump kind of flipped that approach on its head and he just continued to run uh, to the extreme on the right, uh, which riled up his base and got them to turn out and, and uh, resulted in a narrow uh, set of state wins that gave him uh, a solid electoral college victory in the 2016 election. Uh, but ultimately uh, didn't uh, pan out for him in this election cycle. Uh, but the, those mechanisms uh, have continued to be in place to push um, uh, the extremes in each party and more divisiveness and more polarization. So reward people uh, for for appealing to more voters and running on their record, particularly those who are running for re-election, they have to run on their record what they've accomplished, and they not only have to do well with first place voting, but with rank order voting, then they they have to be people's second or third choice. Otherwise, they likely aren't going to be able to move forward. Uh, I love this approach. I love this system. And as they mention, uh, this is already uh, underway in in some states and some cities as they're uh, trying it out and seeing how it might work. I think this could immediately change the, dyna- the dynamic. And it's it's something I'm really excited to see uh, move forward. And, and hopefully it can help us heal some of this political divide in our country where we can become more united, more in the public interest, and more trying to uh, bridge any partisan gaps that may exist uh, so that we can compromise and we can actually come up with solutions to complex problems. By opening the field to new and dynamic competition, Final Five Voting bakes accountability, results, and innovation into the system. With a steady supply of potential new entrants or substitutes, legislators will have renewed incentive to innovate and deliver results. Their customers, the citizens and voters, are now empowered to hold them accountable at the ballot box. Healthy competition would flip our win-lose system into a win-win that benefits not only all the players involved across the political spectrum, but American economic competitiveness overall. Business leaders would stand for nothing less in their own organizations. Why should Americans accept such failure where it matters most? Shifting the dynamic so that we can encourage new entrants and increase healthy competition in order to drive accountability and innovation is really uh, at the core of what's made the U.S. economy so successful over an extended period of time. And I think there are some answers here on how we can tweak our uh, our political system in such a way to bake in uh, that accountability, as was mentioned in the video clip. I think if we bake in that accountability, uh, then we can make sure that we're continuing to make progress. There are are such huge challenges facing our country and facing the world. And we need to to work together to to accomplish uh, solutions and to to make positive change. I believe that we can do it. And the example provided here with final five uh, voting and rank order voting, uh, I think is a really uh, excellent, simple 
yet effective way to go about driving some of that change. I think it's also useful for organizational leaders to consider within our organizations, you know, what our internal politics looks like uh, within our company uh, or organization. Uh, because while obviously it's different than a national political system uh, and you don't have a two-party system, uh, we do have similar types of internal political dysfunctions that occur uh, within an organization. And you have factions that form over time and those compete with each other. And the question is, are you having healthy competition? Are you allowing for, for new ideas, new innovations, or are you sticking to these existing factions um, in, in leading the dynamic within your organization? Healthy organizations can't uh, succeed in a sustainable way with that kind of an atmosphere. Uh, and, and unhealthy organizations, though, often have those types of components built into them, uh, whether formally through, through institutionalized uh, policy practices and procedures or informally just through cultural dynamics and the way that leaders lead. So I think there's a lot for us to consider here with uh, competition theory and, and striving for healthy competition in our organizations and our political processes. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. As always, I hope you stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and I hope you have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.